Hello, Horror Fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh, oh the, the horror. horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep. Yeah? As we dive beef. Okay, we can dive for beef. <laughs> Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate review and subscribe or follow whatever the new thing is to mm. add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com. You can check out our website at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. Mm -hmm. Check out our back catalog. Mm -hmm. The last 72 episodes. Yep. Yeah. So how you doing? I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, just kind of doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing. Oh, I'm doing. That's good. I hope you're doing better. Cause we got some murdering to talk about. <laughs> I was gonna. <laughs> I had every intention of starting this. Let's talk about the fiery crater in Turkmenistan. Yeah. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> it's the Texarkana Moonlight Murder. It sure is. Episode 73. Yeah. The, uh, what do you got for sources? Uh, the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, Texarkana Moonlight Murders. And the other is, hold please. Texarkana Moonlight Murder has a local author settled once and for all the identity of the infamous Phantom Killer by Prudence McIntosh from TexasMonthly.com. Juicy. Yeah. Wow. I got tidbits. I got the Encyclopedia Arkansas one yep. that you got there. Mm -hmm. Did the wiki. Mm-hmm. Couple splash of things, little crim criminal minds fandom, which is actually a pretty good resource uh, for some of this stuff. The, they, um, they got some pretty good details in there. Yeah, and then there was a couple other uh, just sporadic links. Nothing. I didn't take a whole lot from right. each of them. Just kind yeah. of little little piece there, little piece here. You should add to your wiki. You know, like when when we do our murder, to check out Murderpedia instead of Wikipedia. No, I checked that too. That's always a hot spot. Yeah, yeah. FBI.com is one of my favorites because mm -hmm. they have all the stuff. Yeah. And you can look at all the stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, I think if we went deeper, 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 mm -hmm. which who knows where the show's going to go. Let's <laughs> yeah, be right. honest. Yeah. But yeah, so. Yes, Texarkana is... It's a twin city. Yeah, it's the border between Texas and Arkansas, mm -hmm. so they just call it Texarkana. Mm -hmm. But there is a Texas side, and there is an Arkansas yeah, side. Yeah, it's a twin... There's yeah. twin cities yeah. that handle each side of it. And I actually knew someone from the Arkansas side. Their father lived there. Mm -hmm. And then I met somebody at a conference... Mm -hmm. That was from the Texas side. Mm. I was like, all right, I've got Texarkana surrounded. Yeah, you've got both sides I of can, the story. I can hop the fence anytime. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think one person would admit me in their home, but. No, probably not. The other one would be like, dude, you're, why are you talking to me? I th But no, I'm not going to say that. I think you, you could social engineer your way in. Oh, always. Yeah. <laughs> That's my. Yeah. 
It's your bread and butter. <laughs> it is my bread and butter. Yeah. So, so let's get into this. Let's do it. <laughs> the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, an unidentified assailant, often known as the Texarkana Phantom Killer, committed a number of murders and assaults in Texarkana, which is Miller County, Arkansas, and Bowie County, Texas, through mm-hmm. the spring of 1946. Five people were killed and three were wounded. While there was one major suspect, he was never convicted of these crimes, and the attacks served partially as the basis for a motion picture, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. To this day, they haven't found anyone. Well... I mean, there's leads, but they haven't really actually closed the books. No, it's still considered an open case, and it's still considered unsolved. They called them... they have not been able to... Yeah. Arrest and try and convict yeah. a uh, suspect. Which they means, do have one. Well, but the, it's also known as the Phantom Killer, the I Phantom Slayer, yep. and the Moonlight Murderer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So on February 22nd, 1946, two young people, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry, were parked on a secluded Bowie County road outside Texarkana. They were forced out of the car by an armed man, his face hidden by a burlap sack with two slits for eyes. The assailant beat Hollis with a gun, cracking the young man's skull in two places. He then sexually assaulted Larry before fleeing when he saw the headlights of a car approaching. Both of these victims eventually recovered from their wounds. One month later, on March 24th, two more young people... Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore. Do you want to get into the details of the first attack or are you just doing this eye level? I'm just doing eye level. We going back to do details? I go into more detail at the end, not about the murders, but about the suspect. Okay. So why don't I embellish on the first attack a little bit? All right. Yeah, they had those lover lovers lanes yes. back in those days where people would park back and forth. And they were saying that a, a man wearing a white cloth mask with eye holes cut out and described later as a bag by Larry, uh, Mary Jean was handling a flashlight, approached their vehicle by the uh, driver's side, and then ordered them both out of the car. And he ordered Hollis to take off his pants yep. and pistol whip him twice, rendering unconscious. Then Mary Jean was also hit and was then ordered by the assailant to run up the road. After reaching an old park or old car parked off the road, she was again confronted by her attacker, whom, strangely enough, asked her why she was running. Mm-hmm. And she basically was like, look, you told me to. You yeah. ordered me to run. And calls her a liar, and then the aggressor knocked her out, sexually assaulted her with the barrel of his gun. Mm-hmm. And then after the assault, Mary uh, Jean fled on foot and was eventually able to call in the police uh, while Hollis regained consciousness and was seen by a passerby. Uh, Bowie County Sheriff W.H. W- uh, Bill Presley and three other officers arrived on the scene. They found Hollis uh, pants 100 yards away from the parked car. And later, both Jimmy and Mary Jean gave contradicting statements, which is always the case. Yeah. It's just like nuts uh, regarding their attacker's lookings uh, with Hollis claiming uh, he was a white man in his 30s while 
Mary Jean described the man as being a light-skinned African-American and added a detail. The mask that covered his face also had a mouth hole. So he has a mask on his face, but apparently you could check. And if they were wearing gloves, I don't know how you would know any of that. But yeah, that's uh, that's what they came with with this first attack. So one month later, on March 24th, Two more young people, Richard Griffin and Pollyann Moore, were found on another Bowie County back road, both shot in the head, shot in the back of the head with a 32 revolver. Blood stains on the ground indicated they had been killed outside the car and then put back in. Do you have any other details? Yeah, what was crazy about this is it was basically the same type of uh, weapon they were mm-hmm. possibly talking about. And this is where they police were. They launched like a citywide investigation, along with other sheriff departments in the vicinity and the FBI's in this now. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, actually, if you think about it, like that quick mm-hmm. to get everybody in there is is something in its own right. Uh, the authorities interviewed around fifty to sixty witnesses and posted a reward in an effort to gain new information on the case. And basically, it just turned into more than like a hundred false leads. Yeah. They yeah. just all went nowhere. Well, the two people that actually were assaulted in the first attack had conflicting details. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine what 100 people would uh, come up with. Yeah, and that's always like you hear about it in these crimes where the police are just so reluctant to get public feedback on things because it just kills their resources. Yeah. It kills yeah. pretty much any kind of sensible opportunity. I know like everybody has their heart in the right place mm-hmm. when they're just like, well, they got to let this out and let people know and ha- have people help and things like that. And I get to let people know because they need to know that somebody's going around doing all yeah. this stuff. See but if the, you can prevent it from happening again. But there's that difference of letting it alone and then opening like quote unquote, the tip line. Yeah. And yeah. you just get every loony in the world yeah, and you calling just get inundated. And inundated and with And they all tell you that they have to investigate every, every single, single one. Yeah. yeah, every single one. And that's yep. resources. And that's where I kind of, it's not that I laugh, but I empathize, empathize with the police departments that are stuck in that. Because now you got a public that's like, well, you're not doing anything. Yeah, you're not doing anything. And, and you know. You you're, don't know anything and you're not getting anything done. Yeah, it's like, you're well, taking your already thin resources yeah, and you're chasing a hundred leads ghosts, that go chasing ghosts. Yeah. And they know that yeah. those hundred leads are going to go nowhere because yeah. usually what they find out in cases that are solved and all of the, the detectives say this firsthand across the board, the evidence always wins. Yeah. They never get somebody from a tip. No. It's rare. Yeah. And even when they have somebody from a tip, they need the evidence yep. to back it up. Mm-hmm. So it's that's why they're always just like the evidence, the evidence, the evidence, yeah. the evidence. It's it's crucial. It's the evidence that convicts them. Yeah. The following month, on April 14th, teenagers Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker were found dead in Spring Lake Park on the Texas side, with their bodies found some distance away from their car. Again, a thirty two was the murder weapon. Do you have more details on that? Yeah, basically the, uh, uh, let's see, they were both found within three miles from Martin's Ford Coupe, which was parked outside of Spring Lake Park, uh, with the keys still in it. 
Paul's body found at around 6.30 a.m. was lying by the northern edge of North Park Road. He was shot four times, once through the nose, again through the ribs, uh, right hand, and the back of the neck. And Betty, uh, whom was found five hours later than Paul, was lying behind a tree, clothed and with her right hand inside of her pockets. Uh, she was shot twice, once through the chest, once through the face. And as you were saying, the, the weapon was used the same as the first double murder, the thirty two automatic Colt pistol. Sheriff Presley and Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Gun- Gonzalez said that the examinations of the bodies indicated they both had put up a struggle. Uh, Betty was a saxophone player, and her saxophone was eventually recovered six months later in the nearings of the spot where the body was found. Uh, a, ro- a reward was, again, posted by the authorities, and rumors circulating uh, the apprehension of the murderer, and which were later denied by Captain uh, Gonzalez. This uh, further attack, this is where the press came up with the nickname as the Phantom Killer, mm-hmm. and that's when that started getting traction. So the young woman in both grisly killings had been tortured and sexually assaulted before dying. Police began patrolling secluded roads and lovers' lanes. Mm -hmm. The next month, on May 3rd, an isolated farmhouse in Miller County was the scene of another murder. Virgil Starks was shot twice and killed by an attacker standing outside the front window. When the dead man's wife, Katie Starks, heard the shots, and ran to the phone, she was shot twice in the face. Nevertheless, she was able to escape and run to a nearby farmhouse for help. Though a twenty-two pistol had been used in Stark's death, tire tracks similar to those in earlier cases were found at the scene, and the crime was generally attributed to the same killer. Yeah, this was really the peak of the town's hysteria at this point, and... uh you know, all the inquiries, again, were implemented. Rewards were increased. New ones were posted by authorities and by the father of Virgil Starks. And by November, uh, authorities no longer considered, uh, November 1948, authorities no longer considered the Starks murder connected with the other double murders at that mm-hmm. specific point in time. But I can't even imagine getting shot in the face twice. Like the amount of adrenaline you have to have. Yeah. And running and getting help. Run and go and get yep. help. I I wonder, because I've had adrenaline in certain wounds where you just don't feel it. Yeah. Like I wonder if there was just like no. I don't know. You know, no feeling at all on that until, you know, like but somebody's like, look at your face. <laughs> she's running for her life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I get that too. Yeah. So in all. Two women and three men were killed. With each new murder, panic rose higher in Texarkana. Citizens bought weapons and stayed in their homes at night, literally dreading sundown. Law enforcement officials on both the Arkansas and Texas sides of the city worked the case. Texas Rangers arrived, including the handsome and charismatic Manuel Lone Wolf Gonzalez, and reporters from all over the country flocked to the town, adding a new level of chaos. When neighbors reported seeing strange lights from the Starks' farmhouse, local police surrounded the home only to find Gonzayas and a woman reporter from Life magazine taking photos of the crime scene with flashbulbs. Mm. 
The murders were soon dubbed the Moonlight Murders by the news media, although the first two occurred a week after the full moon and the final attack occurred around the time of the new moon. Because he seemed to strike and vanish, the Night Stalker was also dubbed the Phantom Killer by the local newspaper, the Texarkana Gazette. Numerous individuals claimed to be the Phantom Killer, while other citizens came forward with accusations against various local residents, including an agent of the Internal Revenue Service, which, Shocker. I mean, if you're pissed, like, if you got a tax notice, to be like, you know who it is? It's Bob. That's sinister. You know the guy from the IRS? It's totally him. That's so sinister. Yeah. Oh, man. One young man, a student <laughs> at the Uni- University of Arkansas, UA, in Fayetteville, Washington County, who came from a prominent Texarkana family, killed himself in his room in Fayetteville, leaving a poem and confession. All turned out to be false leads. The one suspect who was most often cited as the probable killer was a repeat offender named Yowl Swinney, who had a record of car theft, counterfeiting, burglary, and assault. An Arkansas law enforcement official, Max Tackett, had noticed that before each murder, there were reports of a car being stolen and then abandoned. In July 1946, a stakeout of a reported stolen car on the Arkansas side led police to a woman who claimed to be Swinney's girlfriend. She provided details of the murders that had not been released to the public. Subsequently, her story changed, and she married Swinney. And because of the unreliability of her testimony and the fact that she could not be forced to appear as a witness against her husband, law enforcement officials declined to prosecute. In 1947, Yael Swinney was jailed for life as a repeat offender for car theft, but was released on appeal in 1973. While some sources say he later died in prison, Others say he died in 1994 at a nursing home in Dallas. In 1977, Arkansan Charles B. Pierce produced an R-rated horror film called The Town That Dreaded Sundown with the tagline, In 1946, this man killed five people. Today, he still lurks the streets of Texarkana, Arkansas. It starred Academy Award-winning actor Ben Johnson, Don Wells of Gilligan's Island, and Andrew Prine. Though it purported to be based on the true story of the Texarkana Moonlight murders, many people dispute its accuracy. It remains a minor cult classic. It also got a lot of uh, bad press from the victims' yeah. families. They, yeah. they were very against it because I think, what is it, annually in Halloween? It's the last movie. I get into it. Yeah, okay. To date, the identity of the Phantom Killer remains unknown. While theoretically still open, it is considered a cold case. In 1996, the Texarkana Gazette published a 24-page special section called The Phantom at 50, and the crime was revisited extensively in 1996 and again in 2003 by the Dallas Morning News. And let's get... Two, has a local author settled once and for all the identity of the infamous phantom killer? Have they? Well, let's check and see what Prudence has to say. Yeah. And she goes on to state in 1946, the brutal crimes occurred in less than three months. 
Three were violent attacks on young people parked on Lover's Lanes on the Texas side of town. Mm -hmm. The fourth was the shooting of a middle-aged couple in their rural farmhouse on the Arkansas side. At the end of the spree, three people had been seriously wounded and five had been shot dead. The traumatized survivors gave the police little to go on. Fear paralyzed the town. Women of means packed up their clothes and children and checked into downtown's Hotel Grimm when their husbands were away on business. Others rigged Rube Goldberg's security systems, attaching pots and pans to wire that was strung around their property. People who had never owned guns slept with loaded pistols on both sides of the bed and made pallets on the floor so their children could sleep beside them. Lawmen from Arkansas and Texas and members of the national press overwhelmed the town in pursuit of the assailant, who was dubbed the Phantom Killer by the Texarkana Gazette. Decades later, the mayhem has barely lost its hold on the popular imagination, though imagination is very much the operative word. A handful of books of wildly varying quality have been written about the case. The Town That Dreaded Sundown, a largely fictionalized movie, was released in 1976. A remake of the same name came out this past October. The famous Hookman urban legend, the one that begins with a young couple parked on a lover's lane and ends with their discovering a bloody hook on the car's door handle, is said to have been inspired by the Texarkana murders, though there's no evidence that the Texarkana killer had a hook. In a state hardly celebrated for its peacefulness, the Texas Department of Public Safety once called the serial killings the number one unsolved murder case in Texas history. Yet, for all the attention given to the case, no one has ever been convicted of the crimes. The case cried out for a reliable record to preserve the known facts, dig up new ones, and separate the substantive evidence from the spurious and imaginary, says James Presley, a Texarkana native whose authoritative examination, The Phantom Killer, Unlocking the Mystery of the Texarkana Serial Murders, A Story of a Town in Terror, was published last month. Writing this book was like assembling a jigsaw puzzle from scattered small pieces, some of them missing. One recent afternoon, I drove around Texarkana with Presley to revisit the four crime scenes. 68 years ago, the sites of the attacks were at the very edges of town. Today, one is in a suburban development, one is a nondescript lot near a handful of commercial buildings, and the other is an unremarkable wooded area by a public park. Nothing in any of the Texas locales evokes the horror of a sudden flashlight beam on a pitch black night and an armed stranger demanding, take off your fucking pants. <laughs> the instructions given to Jimmy Hollis, the male victim of the first attack. Presley seemed less sure of the precise location of the final murder scene in rural Arkansas. The farmhouse where Virgil Starks was killed with his wife, Katie, who was grievously wounded, is long gone. But we bumped over the railroad tracks and followed crunchy pea gravel roads through Arkansas farmland, imagining what it was like for that poor woman to run for help across these dark fields as blood soaked her nightgown. I'm pretty sure that's where Max and Charlie, Arkansas State Troopers, Max Tackett and Charlie Boyd, spotted that old parked car, Presley said, pointing toward a clump of woods where an automobile, later thought to have been the murderers, was parked the night of the attack. Had the lawmen not been racing to drop off expense reports at headquarters, they might have checked out the suspicious car since 
this stretch of road was a known moonshine drop-off point. They always regretted not stopping to investigate, he said. Hmm. A year after the shootings, Presley was hired as a 17-year-old cub reporter at the Gazette, working with journalists who had covered the killings, but he had an even closer connection to the case. His uncle, Bill Presley, was the sheriff of Bowie County, where three of the crimes had taken place. Quote, I recall recall my father saying during that summer of 1946, I saw a bill today, and he said we could relax now. They've caught the guy who did it. He's an ex-convict, but don't say anything about it to anyone, end quote. The man his uncle was talking about was Yoel Sweeney, um, Swinney, a local criminal who went to prison in 1947 for auto theft and whom many believe was the killer. Even at the age of 16, James Presley had a piece of the inside story. He died before I started writing this book, Presley says of his uncle, but I dare say he and every lawman who worked this case never quit mulling the story over and over in hopes of turning up the hard evidence that could have convicted Swinney of the murders. Swinney was a favorite by... Oh, by a, a long shot. Yeah. In the intervening years, Presley became a freelance writer tackling quieter subjects, but he maintained his fascination with the case. In 1971, he wrote an eight-part story for the Gazette on the 25th anniversary of the events. But for decades, he resisted writing the definitive book on the subject. Quote, publishers just aren't interested in crime stories that have no official solution, end quote, he says, which is not wrong. What finally changed his mind was a 2001 visit from a crew filming an episode of the Learning Channel show Mostly True Stories, Urban Legends Revealed. Standing in the mossy Woodlawn Cemetery where one victim, Betty Jo Booker, is buried, Presley, the episode's expert, talking head, watched as a man who was with Booker the night of her murder was interviewed. But as he headed for his car afterward, he noticed that the cameras continued to roll as the crew interviewed a tall, paunchy bystander who seemed to be a cemetery groundskeeper. Curious, Presley returned to hear what the man had to say. Relishing his moment of fame, the man told a preposterous story of how local law enforcement kept the killer's identity secret even though he knew for a fact they had fingerprints. Presley approached the crew after the man returned to his rake and spade. Everything he told you is completely false, he said. We know, replied the producer. That's why our show is called Mostly True Mostly Stories. Mostly True Stories. I like how they refer to him as Ponchy. Yeah. That's something you don't hear of. No, you don't. Appalled at the news media's liberties with the facts, Presley set out to write the authoritative work on the subject. A historian by training, he has a PhD from the University of Texas at Austin. Presley is an indefatigable researcher and who is undaunted by aging microfilm, fragile cassette tapes, and dusty old courthouse records. I was lucky, he said. Serendipity and a great research network paved the way. There were personal interviews with a range of people from neighborhood witnesses to well-known psychiatric experts, official records others hadn't consulted, personal archives and libraries. Thank God for the internet and the telephone. I made hundreds of cold calls. I learned more about serial killers in general, and this one in particular, and their psychology, than I'd ever dreamed of knowing. It's fair to say that I, and the reader of the book, now know more about the phantom murders 
and the subsequent investigation than any single lawman who worked the case. In fact, Presley's book makes as convincing an argument as anyone is ever likely to to make that Swinney was the killer. Mm -hmm. As it happens, Presley wasn't the only person in my car who had a personal connection to the killings. I was born and raised in Texarkana, and my father, J.Q. Mahaffey, was the editor of the Gazette when the murders occurred. And the man, incidentally, who hired Presley in 1947. I was one year old when the killer struck, so I don't have any memories of the terror that engulfed the town. If the crimes were ever a topic of discussion around my house, it was only my father expressing his frustration with a national press that seemed intent on forever branding his beloved town as a murder capital. Still alive, JQ? His editor friends in the East would joke when they called him. I've always remembered the Texarkana of the 40s and 50s as a Norman Rockwellian place, the pre-World War II suburb where we lived with the cliched neighborhood of unlocked doors, homemade Halloween treats, vacant lot baseball, and China Berry fights. But as I looked through Presley's materials, memories of a very different Texarkana rose to the surface. I was reminded of how the drinking age enforcement on the Arkansas side of town was notoriously lax. I tired um, a tired car hop at Lacey's Drive-In, who served beer to my teenage brother and his friends, brought a beer for me too. I was 11. I remembered overhearing talk of drunken brawls at Chaler's uh, Starlight Club, and we all giggled about who would put Quote, we give S&H green stamps, end quote, signs on the three brothels that lined West 4th Street. Some people called Texarkana Little Chicago because its location as a railroad hub brought great performers and famous politicians. But the rails also brought drifters and criminally inclined strangers. The state line that famously cut through the center of the massive United States Post Office and courthouse also provoked fierce high school football rivalries and created deep divisions and made law enforcement complicated and inefficient. Perhaps because a strain of darkness has always crisscrossed State Line Avenue, Texarkana hasn't tried to hide its most notorious episode the way you'd imagine many a Chamber of Commerce would. Nearly every Halloween, the city shows the town that dreaded sundown at Spring Lake Park, where one of the murders took place. Next month, Northridge Country Club will hold the 11th annual Phantom Ball, benefiting a local charity. During my visit to Texarkana to see Presley, I decided to stop by Spring Lake Park, which I remember as a place to feed ducks, attend Bible school picnics, and play miniature golf. It even had a skating rink where I learned to skate backward with, you know, Brill Cream Ducktails and Elvis Sneer Dudes. On this September afternoon, I sat on a bench watching little boys in Bible verse t-shirts fishing with their dads, whose own t-shirts signaled their affiliation with the Christian Brotherhood of Outdoorsmen. Suddenly, I remembered that the scariest episode of my own teenage years had happened only a few feet from where I sat. In the decade after the Phantom Murders, my older brother's generation generally avoided the, sec the secluded lover's lanes, opting instead for the security of drive-in movies, but by the time my friends and I were driving, phantom lore had faded a bit and we gravitated back to the park. I would imagine because you it it's weird how I remember there was a couple spots where I grew up where there were certain places like you weren't supposed to go to. Yeah. Yep. And there was like a generation that's just like, no, fuck that dude. I ain't going over there. Yeah, you don't go there. But 
then time is time the passes. weirdest thing of all. Yep. And then it just sparks Memories a curiosity. Made, yeah. You know, Let's and, go over there. Yeah. And also, like, the point they brought of the train going through and bringing in yep. all the drifters. Yep. Have you heard the theory that there's the Phantom Killer and the Zodiac Killer are one and the same? No. Yeah. Basically, it's just because they're similar. Okay. They were serial killers who were of a mixed classification. Okay. They didn't have, like, a similar mm -hmm. thing. Uh, mainly killed by shooting, attacked couples in secluded places, mm -hmm. uh, mainly during the nighttime. Right. And on at least one occasion wore a mask and also would kill a lone victim who was older than those whom characterized like their classic but MO once. Did the Zodiac yeah. killer sexually assault his female victims? You know, this is where... Like mentioning the Zodiac becomes a, a riddle in its own right, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people that contest that the Zodiac wasn't one person, like all also of possible. all of the yeah. like accumulated ones that they speculate were the Zodiac right, yeah. that they associate with. it. Yeah. But what makes it interesting with the Zodiac was there were these points where like it just stopped yeah, and stopped for a long time. Mm -hmm. And everybody all like really speculates like, well, A, did that person get caught? Yeah. Or this is where I kind of bring up like the trains. Mm -hmm. Like if someone was going mm -hmm. through that grid, you know, that grid system, mm -hmm. so to speak, it, it begs for questioning, you know? Yeah. I think the, the more people get, I think the tough part with this is, is the more information you get, the more questions you're going to have. Right, yeah. And that usually happens 99% of the time. You yeah. get more information, you're going to be like, oh, this is great. Probably get somewhere with this. Yeah. You're going to get somewhere, but you're also going to have like double, triple the amount of questions you had before. Yeah. Because it just yeah. unlocks these things. Because I think it would be interesting to just take all of the kind of preconceived notions of serial killers that are unsolved mm -hmm. or maybe even partly solved mm -hmm. and map them all together in time, like a heat map type thing where, you know, could you see through a network of trains, like all this stuff taking right, place? And, yeah. You know, are these really kind of connected by a similar person? Well, I mean, Bundy, he, he, he killed would, all over the place. He went all over the place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like it's not feasible plausible. or yeah. plausible. They're saying there's uh, an extensive serial killer network operating currently through the um, like the known trucking. Oh yeah, the trucking routes. The trucking routes. Yeah. yeah, that got spun up. I forget who it was. It was a an FBI agent, and she was being interviewed, and it was kind of like a slip. Yeah. Slip of the tongue, basically. But and I want to say that was about like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, she she had this interview and she just kind of like blurted out, "Yeah, you know, there's the trucking route is actually the best place for a serial killer to thrive." And they were talking about she was talking about how they're only in town very very short. Sometimes yeah. it's just an afternoon. Yep, and they're two states away. By, by the that, time you realize that evening, what's happened, yep. you know, and that stuck. For the longest time. They're also saying that the truck stops are like the perfect place because that's usually where 
uh, a runaway is yeah. or uh, a drug addict yeah. or a sex worker because they're, you know, it's the they know there's going to be a lot of quote unquote clientele. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of these people, they don't have anyone that will say, hey, you know, my my daughter's been missing for a day or two because they don't know. They yeah. don't know where they are in the first place. Yeah, they're 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 runaways or street kids. Yeah, that they have call them throwaway Thro- people. Throwaway people. Yeah, which I mean, it's a tough term because here's the thing: say say your kid mm-hmm. disappears at mm-hmm. like age ten or twelve, mm-hmm. and you don't hear from them for years, right? Maybe let's just say even a decade. And then all of a sudden you get a phone call and the police say, hey, we found your kid yeah, uh, shot in the face yep. on the side of the road. Uh, we don't have any leads. Mm-hmm. We have nothing. Yeah. You know, and so the parents are like, okay, let's just keep this quiet. Let's deal they with don't this wanna, now. Yeah, but they don't want to dredge it all up either. Yep. Keep it quiet. And that's where... I mean, the throwaway kids and no one cares about them. I, I'm not going to disagree that that's a valid statement. No, but, I'm just saying. But they, it's just it's complicated. Mm-hmm. It's really, really complicated with runaways in general. And, yeah, yeah. Because I remember just my my one of my half brothers just would leave all yeah. the time, and you just call for a while. After a while, it it just tires you out. Yeah. Tires My point worrying is predators and, and, prey on them because they oh, are yeah. such easy prey. Well, yeah, that's they don't have to worry about someone turning them in because they're missing. Yeah. So and again, they're doing their job, so they're going to be miles away before yeah. anybody well, realizes and even, what's happened. Even if the the throwaway person escapes, yeah, they're not going to turn in because no. then their risk of going to jail. But even if that, it's just like, okay, so it was this guy in a truck. What do you look like? Yeah. Uh, He was, you know, white guy, middle-aged mustache, paunchy, you know. And and, that's just the thing. A lot of times they're in the cab of the truck. Yeah. And you Mm -hmm. can't give them an accurate height and weight. Yeah. Yeah. Dude sitting down. Well, yeah. And and I'm going to say it for what it is. If you're putting yourself in that situation, yeah. all bets are off. Yeah, you have to assume you know, the risk. If you're given rim jobs in a truck stop, yeah, in some guy's truck, yeah, and you don't know who the hell they are, where the hell they came from, mm-hmm. where they're going, all bets are off. Or on, if you're even just hitchhiking, yeah, you, you don't know who you're getting in a in a truck with. You're playing the game of life with a risk score of ten being ten the worst. Yeah. And yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. really pressing your luck. You are not making good choices. No, 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 none <laughs> you at all. You made a series of bad choices that has brought you to this place. Yeah. And then what I really found interesting, like we had the PhD and this other person doing all this massive research. Yeah. And they came up with the same suspect that the cops that have the said cops all the had. time, yep. you know. Yep. And I, they were like, oh, well, we know more than anybody. And it's like, yeah, it's Yule Sweeney. It's like cops yeah. are like, 
duh. <laughs> we told you before you did yes, this for two years. We just don't have the yeah. evidence to convict the guy. <laughs> Which is the same as the yeah. two that were researching yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. I find hysterical with true crime cold cases. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not busting on the two that were doing the research. No. I mean, no. some people... Some people just need that calling in life to do something that's larger than themselves. Yes. And that's the larger than themselves thing. They had the best intentions with it. But at the end of the day, yeah, it goes back to what we were saying before. You the didn't evidence, break new brown, Copernicus. The evidence is <laughs> yes. the evidence. That's yes. that's what's going to make all this happen. You know? Yeah. The flashlight with a fingerprint. That's the yeah. find. You yeah. know? And I mean, you hear tons of stuff of like stuff being lost in evidence and it like props back up and well and or also somebody too, just kept something. It's you know. so hard because in this instance, this was back in the forties and their way of collecting oh, and storing evidence is completely different. Yeah. But even now, there are places, you know, especially small municipalities, if they happen to have a police force they don't have a climate controlled area to house their evidence. Here's the and thing. And the number of times you're listening to someone trying to work a cold case and they talk about evidence being degraded yeah. where they had DNA, but because it wasn't stored properly, yeah. they can't get anything from it. And that's it. even if they're trained enough to collect it properly. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and newsflash, folks, training costs money. It does. All this stuff costs money. Yes. So I hate to be that guy, but if you take money away from these guys, yeah, that, <laughs> they can't do this stuff. Exactly. It's they can't simple do their job. Math. They're already crippled. Yeah. They already are. They already, already have chopped one at the hand knees. behind their back. Yeah. You have just taken their other hand yeah. and put it behind their back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's good just, times. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. No, but it's just things that people don't think about and they get caught up in emotions with things yes, and want yeah. to pursue a, a certain angle with the police. And I get it, you know, that I mean, it's, I, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough cake to slice in certain areas, but there's some things that are no brainers. You yeah. can't get pissed that cops aren't doing enough to solve crimes and solve murders and all that. Yes. If a, you're not communicating with them. Yes. You know, the whole no snitch thing yeah. is is stupid. Or the um, entire community yeah. agreeing that nobody's going to say anything to oh, the Oh, yeah, cops, no, everybody period, just yeah. hides out. It, the no snitch thing. It's And and that's where, you know, generally, like, in a, on a street level sense, like inner city type mm -hmm. thing, you have a, gang, a street gang that runs a whole entire block or two right, or whatever, yeah. and they just don't want to speak out because they don't want to be the next victim. Right, yeah. And that's really... That statement right there, I don't want to be the next victim, is how all the atrocities of the world in Happen. history have happened. Yeah. Because I don't want to be the next victim. Yeah. It's literally so I'm going to fall in. Yep. And and, I, and yeah. I'm just going to hope that the other people become oh, I'm just victims. Gonna, I'm just going to hope that I don't become a victim. Yep. Mm -hmm. And in 1946, like you mentioned, you know, or in the 40s here, I mean, it just... Like, it's amazing to me that they were even able to solve crimes. Yeah. I mean... On, on a certain level. I mean, granted, they I have... would like to actually do an episode on the Texas Rangers. Mm -hmm. Or who are the other big dudes during the, the Pinkertons? The Pinkertons, I, I'd like yeah. to... I mean, even if we split 
an yeah. episode Rangers between and the Pinkertons. Two of them. I'd probably fill an hour with that. Yeah, I would imagine because but. they they were pretty freaking impressive. Their records were impressive. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I think a lot of it was, was props just where props are due. The tough part in those in that time was is if you didn't have a good witness, it's yeah, pretty much done and gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were doing fingerprinting to a certain degree. Yeah, on on some things. Well, but, I mean, even when they were doing blood typing, yeah, that you know. What's amazing to me, though, is even today, there's people that get away with murder. Yeah. And, like, today you would think that the science has gone past the threshold of getting away with it. Well, here's the thing. And I'm not counting, like, how evidence is processed and mistake, like... Right, yeah. No, no, no. But there's just still ways to do it. Yeah. And and it, it, it almost makes it null and void that we're in this current era you know what i'm saying like yeah well yeah if i kill somebody and i cover all my tracks enough and do it just right it's the same as killing somebody in the 40s it's the same thing you're dead in the water you don't know who did it you have no physical evidence you don't and to think that with everything today all the tracking the photos the cameras the everything around it, people are still doing it. They're getting away with it. And I'm and I'm not saying like, oh, that camera was broken or it's just there for insurance purposes. Yeah, like, or it's just it's there for show. It's all working stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it, and it still exists. Like they check all these areas and it's like, yeah, no. I will say though, they are making advances oh, yeah. with DNA. I mean, there was a time where if you didn't have like, a large amount of blood. Yeah. They couldn't get any DNA out of it. And now they're at the point where they can pull mitochondrial DNA or they can pull DNA out of saliva. Yeah. So, I mean, they are, it's, it's a matter of time. At some point, the technology will be at a point where. Yeah. It would be almost impossible to get away with it. Well, We're I, just not there yet. Yeah, I think it is. We're getting closer every day. Definitely close. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, there's just, you know, it's like, oh, the, there's some pube dandruff here. Well, that's we the got thing. Him. <laughs> I, uh, we got him. I listened to several um, <laughs> podcasts with police officials. Yeah, yeah. Either there's one with a retired criminologist and then I've got another podcast where I listen to that are actually small town detectives, both mm-hmm. of whom are retired. And they just talk about the the advances that have been made, but they also talk about the struggles. They talk about um, the two small town detectives, especially uh, talking about how, you know, especially if... Uh, a uh, suspect crosses, you know, jurisdictional lines. Yeah. And, oh, it's the tough part. You know, and there's still, Paul Holes was talking about during the cold case investigation of the Golden State Killer, because they weren't sharing information yeah. back and forth between counties that, you know, if they had just worked together or if they had just said, hey, you know, I got a guy doing the same thing down here, mm-hmm. you know, they could have saved them Selves all a lot of see, but that's headaches. and that's where I look at the limitations of the whole entire process. Mm-hmm. I know there's the pie in the sky version, like the great utopian view that 
Oh yeah. Once all these uh, police places get networked together and once they all get to communicate together and once they get all the processes in place where they could collect, because even if you have all the science in your way, at the end of the day, you got to have somebody who's qualified to collect all this stuff. Yeah. And they were saying and, that even when they did the database where you could put, yeah. you could put your suspect's information in there and their DNA, mm-hmm. that it's, that information is only as good as how it's put into the system and how yeah. it's put into the database. Well, and then you have the physical stuff as well yeah. that you got to keep. So there's mm-hmm. a lot there to unpack. Yeah. And, and basically you have these problems. A is the officer on the scene able to process this information correctly, Correct. collect this evidence yes. correctly. That's one big hurdle. Are your forensic techs Two, trained? No, let's just say, that's what I mean by officer. Just like yeah. all, all of that collection. Do you have the staff? Are you able to do it mm-hmm. and do it correctly to where you're adhering to a chain of custody that's acceptable and admissible in court? Correct. Now, do you have the systems in place? I'm going to go bar <laughs> rescue. I'm going to go bar rescue on you. Do you have your systems in place? Do you have your systems in place to store this stuff properly? Right. Not yeah. just the physical evidence, but also what I'm going to call the logical evidence yeah. of actually keeping it in a computer system. Mm-hmm. That's what I say, number three, or it doesn't matter what yeah. how many there are. But these are the hurdles. Yeah. And, and then once it's in place, are you networked with other departments, counties, agencies? Mm-hmm. These are all massive hurdles that A, require training. Mm-hmm. And B, require a lot of money. Yeah. And C, cooperation. Yep. Now, this is where I think this will never happen in the United States. Okay. Because the reason it won't happen in the United States, it depends. Because we are in a critical juncture. Mm -hmm. I always never want to mention kind of politics, but this kind of brings it up in a sense in a gray, not gray area, but just 10,000 foot view. Right now, the states is in a very weird point mm-hmm. where you have one group that wants, and I'm not saying a political party, just a group. Just one group of There's people. There's one group of people that want the government to be the source of everything. Right. And that's against the grain of what the United States originally and continued to stand for. Right. The yes. states are all separate. Right. And it's actually a better system that way with the states being separate. Right, yeah. Because the country's just too big yeah, for one what government. Works in California isn't going to work for Michigan or, or North Arkansas. Dakota. You yeah, know, I mean, it's exactly. just, yeah. it, it's too totally, mm-hmm. it, what what they're going to, if if you had one government running everything and something as big as the United States, what's going to work in L.A. County is not going to work in Texarkana. no. It's just impossible. No. So that's why the states, I mean, it's really genius when it was developed. Yeah. It's let's make these states independent of each other. And then basically the national end of it is just to treat the country as a whole during massive amounts of crises. Right. Equaling war. Yeah. It's really the only time the government was designed to get in the right in the to in be the united as one front. yeah in the yeah. workings was yeah. a, an act of war but everything else is run by the states yeah 
The so, day-to-day is the so states. So Arkansas can do what Arkansas does. Texas can do what Texas can do. Right. California can do what California does. And if you don't like what's going on in Arkansas, you, you can leave yeah. and go to one of the other many states that, that's doing whatever that are in the country. you want. Yeah, whatever your yeah. little thing is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, again, with America working that way, mm-hmm. you're never going to have all of this united stuff working. It right. comes with a price sometimes. Right, yeah. And, and you got to ask yourself, does that price work because mm-hmm. i mean let's be honest if there was a networked thing for the police which is the fbi now i hate to say it mm-hmm. the yeah. fbi is the big network so to speak yeah because if, if if the state is having some trouble yeah, or the county's having trouble yeah. they reach to the feds and the, but feds, here's the, thing, and the, the feds are like look we got everything we got doctors we got all but this the stuff feds don't jump in unless it meets their criteria mm-hmm but the fact is, is that's in place. Yeah. So now you get the FBI in and the FBI becomes this sledgehammer that just trounces through everything. Right. And it creates division because I hate to say it, a national system like that never works. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out well for Germany having a national system like yeah. that. It just, it, it, it doesn't work. It, it's a hammer mm-hmm. smashing an ant. And of course it's going to get the ant, but it's going to get everything else surrounded by the way right and it's slow moving Mm -hmm. it's not quick reacting and that gets to the problem with states but without that network i could go over kill somebody in arkansas and then Mm -hmm. walk right over to texas yeah kill somebody over there hop on a train go over to kansas or something like that right kill somebody there north oklahoma hitch rides with truckers and move over through and i mean that's yeah i think the uh the rail system yeah. has been replaced by the trucking routes. I think I, I don't think, think there's as many uh, predators using the rail system. I don't know. As, there's there's a lot of people who still jump trains. I mean, it's just something that's not talked about. But there's yeah, a lot but of I mean, not like trains. not like in the early 1900s. Because that was the well, no, I mean they didn't have tractor trailers, so to speak. Yeah, and I'm my point is mm-hmm. with the advancement of the way things are, the rails has been replaced by the truck routes, where your rail system was how your uh, how do I want to put this? Your vagabonds would make their way into town. Now but it's ultimately, the trucking routes. But the way you the way you're saying that it would be better to go on a train. Because you're saying that the trucking routes are the, the, you know what I'm saying? Like a person's not going to travel a way that everybody's thinking about. And if everybody says, well, yeah, the trucker routes would be most popular. It's like, well, that's the first place I'm not going to go. It's the first place I'm not going to do anything. Serial killers are different than just say like the trucker that's like going through, but like a serial killer, like independently working. There's, I hate to say it. They're smart. They're really smart. You got to give credit where credit's due. Well, they've got their plan. They've got their... Oh, they got a plan. They've got it figured out. And, you know, I mean, it's not a passion killing, so to speak. No. You know, or an emotional killing. Maybe the first. Well, yeah, maybe. But I'm willing to bet even that first one, like, they thought about it. Mm -hmm. They thought about how it would go in their mind and how it would go through. And, you know, there was some sort of a plan there. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say, like, 
clear cut, like, this is how I'm going to start. This right. is how I'm going to end. Mm-hmm. But like, if I do do this, this is how I'm going to end. Yeah. And, and I think that's where that vicious cycle starts. Cause then they end and then they're like, well, yeah, no, I got away with that. So yeah, maybe I can fulfill this dark need that I have inside of me. It's, it's messed up. It's really weird. Yeah. They just a, give in to the It's darkness. a weird psychology. Mm-hmm. It's a really world weird psychology. But I had to laugh where like everybody like did all this hard work and they yeah. you know, oh came it's Yul Sweeney. You know. Came up with the same thing that the uh that the cops came up did. with the same guy. No, they broke new ground. Oh they did. They did. And they know more about it than anybody else. Anybody. Yeah. Just to ask them. They'll well, tell they, you. Yeah, and they probably know a lot. I but uh, anything else to add with Texarkana? No. Moonlight Murders, the film no. killer. The uh, let's see, we do have some things to bring up. Okay, I did post the link to the Target dress challenge. Yes. yes. So please take a moment and check out those pictures. <laughs> I uh, I checked them out. I checked them out quick, and uh, those are something. Those are. Uh, those are definitely some. <laughs> However, we got an email from your girl, Diane. Our OG? Yeah, our OG, Diane. Diana. Diana. Yeah, Diana. Yep. Sorry about that, Diana. It's been quite a day. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Okay. However, there was something very near and dear to her heart. She emailed and yes. said, um, donate to life.net. And I checked it out, and it's definitely worth bringing up here on the podcast. uh, DonateLife.net is uh, basically a group that makes it possible to do transplants and things. You can contribute financially, or you can opt for the option to become a donor. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great resource if you're thinking of becoming a donor because they answer pretty much every single question that you could have of being a donor. Right. Uh, really excellent in that sense of what's the process, how you go about it. Are there any costs? Right. And the fact is through this group and all their places I've read, it doesn't cost anything to be a donor. Mm-hmm. Even your family when you pass you will pay for the medical fees leading right up to death. Right. And the funeral costs. That's it. But all the donor costs, you're not responsible for. Correct. Because for those that aren't familiar with donating or being a donor, it's quick and Mm -hmm. it has to be quick. Yeah. For example, your internal organs and kidneys and things. Yeah. They have Once to be that moved. Blood starts circulating. They start to die. Yeah. So they have to be very, moved very quick in a timely and, manner. Yeah. And that's where uh, being on the donor list and so yep. on and so forth. Everybody has a spot, and it's all quick. And they're waiting by the phone, and they're literally waiting for someone to die. It's an amazing. It's, it's very process. sad, but it also yeah. allows. In that tragedy, you are helping someone else mm-hmm. live their life. You're now, giving life to someone else. My uncle who passed away in New Jersey, mm-hmm. Freddie's father, mm-hmm. and Kevin and Sean, they, um, he was a donor. Mm-hmm. And 
Freddie explained that whole process to me. And it's amazing because they use everything. They do. They use the eyes. They use the skin. Yep. The marrow and your bones. Yep. Uh, just everything they mm-hmm. use. It's literally 99.9% of your body is used for something. If you are truly interested, you can have yourself tested so that you can be on a donor list and you can donate marrow and you can donate a kidney now before you've even passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can be the difference. No, between and that's life, why I wanted to bring death. this up. Go yep. to donatelife.net. We'll put it in the show notes. Yep. Thanks, Diana. Again, you're always just <laughs> launching awesome stuff for us. We love you dearly. We're going to have to get together sometime and talk shop. But again, if you don't want to donate. She's going to have to have some sort of position within the podcast. (laughs) Right now, she's solid OG. But but, uh, no, if if you don't want to donate your organs. You can donate. You can contribute financially. And they have the pathways for that. Uh, It's a really, really great group. And again, I can't thank Diana enough for mentioning this. And this is what we're talking about. If you have a thing that's near and dear to your heart for donating, uh, we would like to push this instead of ads (laughs) (laughs) for something, you know, consider becoming a donor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, if if you don't want to be a donor, you look through the FAQs on the site and you're just like, I don't know. You can always contribute financially and that helps. In all these ways, because yep. that's where the money comes from post-death. Yeah. That the family doesn't have to or incur. spouse doesn't have yep. to incur. Yep. And that's uh it's it's a phenomenal process. And again, it's just to me it's one of those weird situations because like you have this terrible thing that moves over to an amazing thing. Yeah. Or things. Yep. And I I don't know the stat offhand, but I remember reading one time, like, if you donate, this is basically how many people you can help. Right, yeah. It's just a massive yeah. amount. I don't think they'll give anyone my eyes. No? I don't think they would do that to someone. Well, yeah. Because even if they gave them to a blind person, the blind person would be like, how is this any different? Well, here's the <laughs> thing, though. It, it could be just something for science or yeah. something like yep. that. I mean... The back in the day to get human sub, subjects, it was a it was a dodgy exercise. It was body snatching. You went yeah. to the grave and you took it. Well, body snatching, or you grab some throwaway kids, you know, and or you get somebody drunk in your uh, in your meeting house and you yeah. suffocate them, and then you go, "Hey, college, I got this fresh body here." Yeah, and you get some. Because they're going to be in great condition. Five pounds, please. You get some dollar dollar bills. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a dodgy, it was a dodgy system before. Yeah. And, and now they have this where it. Right. It's just, it's, hey, it's voluntary. (laughs) Let's just start there. Yeah. (laughs) They're not going to kill you to get your body. Not yet, but no, definitely. Thanks, Diana, for sharing. And. We uh, are very, very happy moving in through the, uh, I would say, middle area of the season. Eh, We're almost in the midpoint. We're getting there. Yeah. But next week, my favorites, (laughs) Cult of the Month, baby. (laughs) And this time, we're doing Jonestown. Yes. uh, I've got some hot stuff for Jonestown. 
Oh, boy. I got some real hot stuff. There's uh, Jonestown, to me, is probably the epitome of, of cult? cult. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's as culty as, as it you gets. Get. Yeah. From front to back. Rooter to tutor? Yeah, from beginning to end. That's as culty as it gets. Uh, I'm very excited to, to talk about it. I've got a, a ton of information on it, but also uh, diving a bit into the psychology of these, these cult members and yeah. what they go through. It's, it's amazing. And we wouldn't be, oh, the horror if we made it a little creepy or scary. And especially with this episode coming up, the psych, you know, the, the psychology issues with their, it shows not only that it relates to this cult, but things that people just do all the time yeah. without even thinking. Yeah. Or put in certain situations. There are how people cult psychologists now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a living. Yeah. It's crazy. Here we are. You know what I <laughs> you know what I want to be? I want to be a cult coach. Okay. Yeah. All right. At some point there's going to be one. At some point, there's going to be a cult coach. I guarantee it. So, yeah, John uh, Jones, Johnstown. What? Okay. Jonestown, cult of the month next week. Yep. And, again, if you've got a cult that you're interested in, reach us at uh, our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com. Yep. Or you could leave a message on our Instagram presence in our Facebook group. Yep. And we will definitely... Cue it into the list. We'll check it out. Yes, yes. Maybe unless, even join. Unless one of ours is spotter. Maybe even join. <laughs> we'll we'll try we'll joining. Put you it. in the list, you know. but. <laughs> but thanks for being in our cult, folks. Yeah, it's great. You know what? I don't like that. No. 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 MFM has a fan cult, and I it's don't like, like that. No. No. Yeah. No cults. Yeah. None. It's a rule. <laughs> They went so far as to say, you're in a cult, call your dad. Yeah. But so join our you, cult. So what do you do? Join join our Give cult. Give us $45 a month to join our cult. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. You can be a horror fanatic for free. You can. You don't even have to listen to the show and you can be a horror <laughs> fanatic. You just give the True. title to yourself. True. Yeah. We won't even get any analytics from you. No. None. No. No, no hit spots. But we do thank you all. Uh, for this one last thing before we wrap things up, we are still in the top 90 horror podcasts. We are still in the top 10% of podcasts in the planet. And that's all thanks to the horror fanatics. Correct. You're awesome. We love you. And we are just still weirded out that there's 32 countries listening to us. (laughs) That hasn't sit well yet. No, no. It, it happened a long time it ago, doesn't. and it's just still weird. Yeah, I know. I remember the first time we had a country outside of the U.S., and I'm like, really? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it just, it does it's never We're felt like, right saying it. No. We're like, is our hosting? platform doing some sort of weird maintenance and we're getting weird well you remember the one time i called them i was like is this a mistake and they're like no no no, it's not a mistake 
And they're, they're like guns away. They're like, you should do some advertising and Facebook target these people on groups. I'm like, easy, buddy. We're just, uh, we're just, we're just two people having fun. Easy. We're just two people having fun in central New York. We're a bunch of nobodies. Uh, exactly. That's uh, but yeah. And then the funniest part of saying that is to someone like we know locally, mm-hmm. but they don't know we have a podcast Yeah, and somehow it'll come up and oh, you got a podcast. It's like, yeah. You know, it's a, oh, the horror and, you know, I'll show them the graphic or if I have a card, I'll, I'll toss it to them. And, uh, they go, oh, so it's, you know, horror movies. That's the first thing they say. And, uh, it's like, no, 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 we do all this other different stuff, you know, and I explain and, you know, oh, okay. You know, well, how's it, how's it going for you? It's like, well, you know, we're in the top 10% of the planet and they're like, oh my God. And I'm like, no, it's out of like 250, probably 300,000 podcasts now that are yeah, in that, exactly. which is great, by the and way. It's growing. I'm not knocking every day. it. I'm not no. knocking it down because there's, you know, there could be that bottom three hundred thousand. Yeah, where it's like we you, started there. It's yeah, it's you, <laughs> me, and like that one person that listens, <laughs> yeah. but it's different every week. You know, it's not the same yeah. person. Yeah, but no retainage. Yeah, but then they're just like, oh, you know, well, who listens? I'm like, well. We have 32 countries. We got people in 32 different countries that are listening to us. And the, I love the reaction. Really? Like, yeah. Like 32 different countries would want to listen to you? <laughs> no. No, they Because I know that's how my friends would look at yeah. it. I, I know going yeah. on vacation soon to see, you know, a very close friend of mine. I'll laugh because I know that'll probably come out yeah. if it does come out. I, yeah. I'm to the point now where I don't even like talking about it because it's just too freaking weird. There's there's days I'll Let's look, wrap though. Wrap this up. We got Ozarks. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> so with that being said, rule number one. No Ouija boards. Two. No dolls. Three. No capes. Four. No blood rituals. Five. No cults, satanic or otherwise. Six. No apathy. You need to act to help enact a positive change in the world. Yes. can be done. It can be done. You know where it can be done? Go to DonateLife.net. Correct. Next rule. <laughs> don't let the black-eyed children in. Don't do it. And don't stop for goats. Don't stop for goats either. <laughs> <laughs> and the last rule. Just listen. Just listen, folks. We love you. We adore you. Have a wonderful day, a lovely week. And make good choices. Come on, hurry up. Ozark's on.